All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to pray, and uh, yeah, we'll get going. What you need, Jody? Two pans. Grab whichever ones you want. Whoop. That almost failed. You're welcome. All right, let's uh, let's get started. God, thank you for this chance just to be in here and just to speak um, about the importance of, of being um, watchful of what uh, our kids or grandkids, nieces or nephews, whoever may be in our lives, God, what they, what they do, what they see, and um, how they handle technology, God. We just pray for this time. May, may we walk away um, challenged a little bit by um, what we, we hear tonight as we um, seek to be uh, better stewards of the things you've given us, God. In my pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I know some of you guys may not be adolescent anymore or have adolescence in the home, but surely you know someone who is an adolescent, maybe niece or nephew, grandchild. Eventually you will have an adolescent, although this thing probably out of date in like eight months. Um, but we're, we're going to do it anyway. It's going to be good. And so I love technology. Um, I'm around some of your ages in here. Uh, if you're like me, um, what what generations do we have in here like the, the name of your generation we have old generation old we have we have some boomers busters xers millennials i'm from one that that's it's kind of made up i mean yes they're all made up but it's called it's called a xenial a xenial is a very small group of people who are gen x and and millennial and how we i, I played outside as a kid I remember playing outside, but I remember like having AOL Instant Messenger and chatting with people online. I remember having you know having like our basketball goal in the backyard and our big VHS video camera on the ground, looking up and like dunking on like a six foot goal, looking really impressive from that perspective. I remember doing that kind of stuff, making home movies. But I remember playing you know video games. That's that's the kind of generation I'm. I'm I have both that analog world in that digital world. And so I grew up with technology. It's kind of been who I've been, not quite as much as kids today because this is all they've known. But I, I like that kind of stuff. But think back to the technology that maybe you had uh, when you were younger. Back in the 70s, you had Pong. Pong was invented. You had floppy disks, the first Apple Macintosh computer. The Sony Walkman was invented. Did you guys know that GPS and email were invented in the 70s? Of course, we didn't use it quite like we do today. Then if you're a child, how many children of the 80s do we have in here? We got some, okay, so here we go. There's your stuff right there. We have VCRs became more common as the personal computers, Polaroids, corded phones, and of course, the Nintendo Entertainment System. We have any 90s babies? Yep. You had AOL, dial-up internet, the Palm Pilot, flip phone, laptop computer, and of course the Discman, which better have bass boost and anti-skip technology, otherwise it's not going to work. <laughs> and in the early 2000s, you, of course you had MySpace and iPod and Xboxes, um, flat screen TVs that weren't as big as a room, um, digital cameras, that kind of stuff. But in 2007, there came a significant moment when Steve Jobs introduced the world to the very first iPhone. That was 2007. It was a sort of digital watershed that many, I think, will say, will measure kind of, will measure cultural time from, like, you know, before iPhones and after iPhones. Here's, here's what makes that moment in history so significant. 
All, the, all that technology we just talked about from the 70s and 80s and 90s and the 2000s can all fit inside and more inside this one device. We probably, you know, the stuff that you can do on here we never thought possible that you can do. I remember seeing, this is a couple years before my time, I remember seeing like this big huge hard drive that was like 512 kilobytes that was like huge being loaded onto a train, I mean to a, uh, an airplane. That was humongous, 512 kilobytes. And eventually we got the floppy disk of three and a half inch of 1.44 megabytes, which was fantastic. And then the zip drive that lasted for like three weeks before that got passed. And now we have, you can get you the micro SD cards with one terabyte. It's just insane how fast those things change. But post-2007, we all began carrying these supercomputers in our pockets. And this kind of adequately sums up the fact that we are living in a new digital reality. It's so different than when we were younger. But the iPhone, it's a lot like a knife. A knife can be used for some very productive things. Cutting bread, cutting my ribeye that I really like to eat, um, some whittling if you do whittling. But it can also be used for some very destructive things as well. And the iPhone like that, is, it's not inherently evil, nor is it inherently good. The usage is determined by the user and his or her ability to discern proper and productive usage of those things. And this truth brings us to some things to consider right away when it comes to technology, and especially smartphones and, and, and how our kids interact with these things. Like age, the need for instruction, the need for supervision, that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to give you a specific age that you should allow your kid to have an iPhone or an Instagram account, although technically for social media, the law is 13 years old, in case you guys didn't know that. It is illegal to have social media before the age of 13. Um, or PS5 or fill in the blank with whatever. I'm not going to give you an age that your child should have this at this age. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you you have to wait till they're 16. That's for you to decide. Maturity and readiness has many factors beyond the amount of years that they've been on this earth. So that's going to take discernment um, and an assessment from your end as a parent, guardian, grandparent, whatever, to help determine. Now I will say, and this is an opinion, so take it as, as such, I think we as a culture are putting smartphones into our kids' hands at a far younger age than they really need it. That's my opinion. Again, take it for what, what that's worth. But again, these things, iPhones and this technology, it's not evil in and of themselves. In fact, I would go so far as to say technology is a gift from God. Through Facebook, I've been able to stay in touch with several students. I've been in ministry for almost 20 years, and I'm able to keep in touch with students I've had like, from the very beginning, from like, my first year when I was in O'Donnell. I have, it's so cool. I had a former student message me last week, tell me that her, her fiancé is about to move out to Midland to work for a few weeks, I think is what she said. And she's going to come out and visit him. And she wants to meet up with, with Jennifer and the family and I, which is pretty cool because we have that technology to keep us connected. And you know, I had a student from, you know, I texted last, or I guess it was Monday, that I was able to reach out with because and, and, we had a little inside joke from a mission trip. And I texted him about that joke. And uh, we got to talk and he's about to leave for the Air Force pretty soon and just be able to pray for him. So it, it's, it's cool what you can do with technology. Um, I have a friend who's able to go into very remote African tribes and provide solar-powered audio devices that contain the Bible in their tribe's dialect because of technology. Um, 
Just this week, I did a little bit of video conference um, with youth pastors from all over the U.S. as we talked and trained and looked a little bit more about youth ministry. Technology, again, it can be a blessing. But the current digital reality, it, it, gives, us, it gives us constant connection. Because we're, we're now able to carry supercomputers in our hands at all times. And so we're always, always connected. And you might think I'm using that word. Yes, Doug, do you have a question? Uh, Jesse was wondering what the, the first one is. The iPhone is like a... A knife with a K. Okay. <laughs> Jesse, you have that written down? So somebody's lying? But we're not going to say who. All right. So you might be saying I'm using that word in a, in a hyperbolic sense, but that's, it's not far from the truth. This is some statistics from Common Sense Media... This is just, I mean, 2017, so it's a few years old. Um, it, you know, it may be even more now. So the ages of 0 to 2, they spend 42 minutes a day in front of a screen. Ages 2 to 4 is 2 hours and 29 minutes. 5 to 8, 2 hours and 56 minutes. 9 to 12 is 4 hours and 36 minutes. And 13 to 18 is 6 hours in 40 minutes. Now I don't need you to point at your spouse and be like, that's numbers lower than what we do, right? We don't need, okay, we don't need any of that. But subjectively speaking, on, on a different note, I, I've just noticed a much lower priority on students wanting to get their driver's licenses at the age of 16. The past few years, it's just not become a priority. Um, for When I was in high school, it was like the rite of passage to get your license. It had that sense of freedom. I remember when I got my license and got my car, I took off and left my house and drove to other people's houses and showed off and like, look at this, I'm awesome now, right? That was kind of what we did. But that's not what I see in student ministry anymore. It's not the case. And I think part of that is due to the ability to be connected to friends at all times. They're always connected on their phones. But this current digital reality gives us excessive access as well. We can get any information about anything we want. Thanks to Siri and Alexa and Google. Most Mondays we have staff meetings, and most Mondays some question comes up either at staff meeting or at lunch that we don't know the answer to, and so then everybody looks to me to find the answer quickly on Google. And I usually find it fairly, or IMDb, who is that actor, right? We're able to find these things very quickly. There's a popular show on Netflix called Stranger Things. Season 4 is coming out soon. But anyways, it's a suspense sci-fi mystery show um, and it's centered on preteens in small town Indiana and it's masterfully set in the 1980s and, and it pays homage to many of the shows and movies that, that we grew up on uh, I heard an interview where the creators talked about their desire to write a bit of a love letter to the 80s but they also that putting the story in that time setting in that landscape it allowed for them to build the mystery so much better because of that, the technology limitations of the 80s right you had to have a walkie-talkie, and you had to be in range of the, of the person close to you. If you had a photo, you had to wait till it was developed, right? And so that's what they kind of did in the 80s, so we'd have that, that more suspense kind of a thing. This is just a great example of the difference in access during our teen years compared to current access that we have now. And this current digital reality also emphasizes impersonal communication. Let's consider... The following, you know, conversations through text messages, they're, they're void of nonverbal cues, right? A lot of 
talking with people is, is about the nonverbal, the body language and those kinds of things. And that's, we miss that in text messages. Social media posts allow us to filter and to edit and modify our thoughts and even our looks before we send those things out. It's all filtered. Social media labels connections as friends or followers. They not always be the case. Are they really your friend? Are they really your follower? Which sounds weird. Even in the video chat, uh, I've seen it in my children. Um, when they FaceTime, they have their phone out in the FaceTime, and then the phone's like this, and they're talking like this. I'm like, well, why don't you just use the phone instead of FaceTime so they can look at the ceiling or whatever, look up their nose. It's, uh, I don't get it, but whatever. So even in that video chat FaceTime stuff, eye-to-eye contact is not always there. It's, one, it's just impossible because... If you're looking at their eye on the screen, you're not, you know, you're not looking at the camera, which would make eye contact with them, so it's, all, it's impossible to make eye-to-eye contact anyways. And our current digital reality gives us a platform to have immediate reaction. The moment something happens, it's there for the world to see. Not only that, everybody has the opportunity to respond. You know, unfiltered editorial commentary is everywhere, and we can spend few days talking about that but we're not going to the only reason I know the Oscars happened this past Sunday is because of a slap that's it that's the only reason I know right does anybody else's social media feed filled with slaps of yeah that's all I saw that's all this that's all it was but I personally see a twofold implication to this it's harder than ever to get students to open up and share in our youth group I think this is partly because they're doing too much impersonal communication, like point three, but I also believe because they have become more guarded than ever when it comes to taking risks because of that social media. But on the other end, we all seem to be battling with, with deep Christian values like patience and discernment and contemplation. James 119 is more important than ever. That's be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. We don't always practice those when we're on social media. So, so what can our response be? And Walt Mueller, maybe you should grab this book. Um, it's called Engaging the Soul of Youth Culture. He walks through three church or parental responses to the culture around us. Now, this is not just, yes, this is for youth culture, but this is anybody who's alive, who's in culture, can take some things away from this. Alienation, the church in a bunker. In this approach, we live in fear of the world and its effects. We circle the wagons and we remove all chances of getting infected by this stuff. Almost becoming Amish in a way, you know. We kind of like, nothing's going to, you know, penetrate our family. We're going to stay in this little bubble and become bubble boys, all of us, right? That's what this alienation is. And then you have accommodation. The church on a leash. In this approach, we just go along with the flow of culture. We don't take any of the spiritual implications of our actions or allowances into account. And rather than looking to Christ to define our values and actions, we allow the world to do that for us. And the third one is infiltration and transformation, the church and the world, but not of the world. This third way is obviously the way Mueller challenges his readers to go towards. And I think this is the approach that we should uh, be considering on how we engage the digital world with our kids. I mentioned Steve Jobs a little bit ago. Um, if you ever watch any of his videos and his presentations, at the end of every one of his keynote sessions every year, um, he would always say this, oh wait, there's just one more thing. 
You need to reveal something even huge and bigger than probably he talked about, right? So now I'm going to say there's just one more thing. I showed you this a while ago on screen time for kids. They also did research on parents of these kids. And their findings, parents of tweens and teens spend nine hours and 22 minutes on their phone. Personal use, which is not work-related, was seven hours and 43 minutes of that time. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. So here's the point. Yeah. I will say <clears throat> I wasn't quite seven hours and forty-three minutes, but uh, if you leave an app open, it will count that as time. Well, yeah. You're not on it. Yeah. Can't be misleading. I mean, I, I, I use my my GPS all the time, and so yeah, but it'll tell you. You can if you can, if you go at least on our from my phone, it'll show me all my time there and how much time on each thing. But yeah, it's it's too much. I don't want to get it. All right. But here's the point. The new digital reality is, is deeply impacting our lives, our lives, as much, if not more, than it's affecting our kids. And we may be struggling to balance all of it even more than our kids may be struggling to balance it. So my challenge for you all is to lead by example. Maybe that means putting your phone down every night for this time or whatever. But before we press on, I want to go back and review that analogy I gave you concerning technology. Because we talked about a smartphone or any technology really is like a knife, right? It's either inherently evil nor inherently good. A knife can be used for productive things or destructive things, right? And of course, the value of a knife is determined by the user and his or her ability to discern poor and, pro- and productive usage. We're going to c- carry out that analogy just a little bit further. Because, right, there are all different kinds of knives. Doug has like 85 on his person at this point in time. Some of the knives are much less risky to be misused or inflict damage in any way. Others can serve a good purpose, but they can also cause major damage, right? I mean, there are a ton of options out there. They vary in their intended purpose. Um, some pose little to no risk in their usage. Others, and I would argue most, could be used in a healthy manner. They contain plenty of opportunities to inflict spiritual and emotional damage on both the users and others. Again, I'm not talking about knives. I'm talking about technology. Then there are a few out there that I believe you can't come up with any legitimate argument or redemptive value at all for these things. So the key is to figure out how to know which is which. And that's what we're going to try to look at and answer hopefully a little bit tonight. So you have two common questions. When it comes to talking to parents about technology, I most often approach with these two questions. What is out there that we need to know about? And what type of filters or controls are available? Those are usually the two questions I get the most. So I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is that we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this. The bad news is I'm probably not going to give you the answer that you're wanting me to give you. So we're going to do this together. That's okay. So the first question, what is, what is out there? I don't know. That's an impossible task. I can't answer that question for you. Um, I have a feeling maybe some of you may you know, knew what we were talking about tonight and walked in and you were, you know, you, hoping I was going to be able to walk you through all these different knives that are out there and let you know whether or not your kids should be using these things. And that's an impossible task for me to do. As of August 2021, the last time I was able to, the, the, the most recent article I was able to find, there are 3,749,000 apps 
and 1,005,000 games on the Apple App Store alone. 3.7 million apps, 1 million games. That's just on the Apple App Store. Google Play has even more than the Apple App Store. That can seem pretty daunting and overwhelming to know what is good, what is not good for my kids, right? And that showed me there were 4.28 billion people are online on mobile devices in the world. 4.28 billion with a B. It's a lot of people. In 2020, 218 billion apps were downloaded. It's a lot of apps. So instead, I want to step back from the trees and look at the forest that is technology and give you just a few key things I think you should know in order to navigate this, this um, frontier in a God-honoring way. So the first thing is to know the social media platforms. We use this phrase social media or social networks when talking technology, but let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when I use the phrase social media. So this is what the definition of social media is according to Webster. It says forms of electronic communication such as websites for social networking and microblogging through which users create online communities to share information, ideas, personal messages, and other content such as videos. So this, the social media, is a digital playground where our kids are living, playing, suffering, and building up their identity. So, you need to know what platforms are out there for your kids to be on and how they work. So here's a few of them. So tied for first that I believe probably for, for teenagers is TikTok and Snapchat. Last time I taught this, this little thing I'm doing here, TikTok was not a thing. So I had to update some stuff. And so if I went up to students and asked which is more popular among their peers, I'd probably get one of these two as the answer, Snapchat and TikTok. It's basically a toss-up between these two. This is where the majority of our students are living, posting, liking, sharing, commenting, posting stories, keeping streaks, whatever. And neither one of these apps are great. Let me just throw that out there. Not big fans of either one of these. Um, second would be Instagram. Uh, you know, when our students sometimes post pictures or reels, etc. Um, I've noticed that these students, like when I say here, I mean like our students are fan and like, I post things on social media where I, I don't see, I, I've, I have most of them through our, social, our fan and student ministry account. And for whatever reason, this group, like, they don't post anything on Instagram. If they do, they post a story of like a football player or a rapper because they know them personally, I guess. I don't know, whatever. They don't do much, that's, that's, that's fine. But So it may not even be Instagram anymore, I don't know. I know a lot of kids only really scroll through it, but they may not post or like or comment, that kind of stuff. This one may have jumped some. This may be maybe second or maybe at the front. If you don't know that, that's YouTube. YouTube is very popular. You may not think of it as a social network site, but it is. Most of our students use it to, as a spot to watch content. Um, several students have their own channels, post videos, um, footage of them gaming or whatever because that's what kids do. It makes no sense to me. Um, but it's, it's, it's probably they have their own celebrities, which again, doesn't make any sense to me, but it's there. They have these own people that they watch. There's some good people to watch, and there's some people maybe they shouldn't be watching on YouTube. So you need to know who they are, what they're doing, what they're watching. A much further forth is probably Twitter. I don't think I have very many students that are on, on the Twitter. Um, I don't know. I probably, is anybody here on Twitter? 
Me? Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Nope. I mean, it's not on. I have to be for my job, kind of. Like, apparently not, though, because none of them are on it. Um, and the last one is Facebook. I have, like, three kids on Facebook. That's probably because their parents made them get to Facebook so they can be friends with them. Teenagers, yeah. Teenagers are not on Facebook. They're not. I mean, they may have a Facebook, but their parents are the ones probably run it. Um, yeah, MySpace is... MySpace is right there. You can barely see it. Um, again... I would encourage you to be aware of which platforms your kids are using. Become students of those platforms and engage in conversation with your students on how they are engaging with these platforms. These are just a few. He said they change often. Pinterest. Pinterest. Yeah. <laughs> Pinterest, I probably, most of my ladies are probably on Pinterest. I don't know how many of the guys are on there. Besides Pete. Pete's on there. I know that. No, I use Pinterest. That's where I get some... Or I, my wife sends me things of, hey, you need to build this for me. That's what I get on Pinterest. So, I think I have three of those today. Hey, Ryan, build this for me. You need to know their games. It's a big one. You most likely bought them whatever gaming system that they have. But, maybe, but you know what they're playing and how they're going about it. Most games now are, are a social network in and of themselves. I mean, there's a social aspect to most of these gaming systems. Make a profile, you make an avatar, and jump online to play with or against others from literally all over the world in an instant. With a good headset, you can actually converse with others while playing. This could be friends, it could be strangers. This doesn't happen on just on Xbox, PlayStation, or Switch. It can happen on your smartphone as well. I mean, so these games are pretty social now. We have to go back to the old school days. I just bought my wife a Nintendo 64 with GoldenEye for our anniversary. That's right. We're going to have some GoldenEye parties up in here. Um, maybe go back to those old school games they're better anyways it's hard to say what games are popular at the moment because it changes um, I did a google search today and the most popular playstation game is Elden Ring followed by Fork Knife um, yes I call it Fork Knife because it makes kids mad and I love to do that um, I think it's probably mostly younger people I don't see most of our older teenagers playing Fortnite anymore um, there's also Apex Legends, Grand Theft Auto 5 and Destiny 2 are pretty popular on on PlayStation, I didn't, I didn't get, this is a lot, within the last 30 days, the most games played. Um, I didn't get Nintendo Switch. They don't have too many just horrible games on Switch. Um, I think when I did search that one, it was uh, like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers, which are, are fun. But again, there's a social aspect to those games. On the phones, I noticed most of our students play Clash of Clans or Clash Royale against each other during Doug Sermons, and they shouldn't be. Um, they do it to mine, too. I can see them. I'm, I want to throw something at them. Um, but so, I mean, that's, so there's some gamings that they play on their phones as well, or they do iMessage games, that kind of stuff. Um, but again, these things, these games change, so just be up, and when they, because they can download games, maybe you don't even know they're going to, they bought a game. Um, so be, just be aware of what they're playing and be, be on top of that kind of stuff. And so, but when it comes to games, I want to take these three things into consideration. Of course, content, pay attention to ratings on games. Uh, do a simple Google search on the names of the games your kids are playing and see what you learn. Check out websites like PluggedIn.com to give you information on the content of the game. If you guys, if you didn't know, if you bought a game from GameStop, there is inside the employee handbook of GameStop, it tells you that they have to accept, and they, to accept a returned open game if the parent comes back and says, I opened this, but it's too mature for my kid. 
So if you bought a game and it's already open and already been played, you can take it back and they have to, it's in their book, they have to accept the game because it's more mature than their kid is, should be playing. Huh? No, I don't think so. Do it. Do it. Send them all back. Yeah, my kid, my, yeah. Consistency. Pay attention to how much they're playing each game. And then, uh, oh, I went too far. Sorry. And then connections. Most games are multiplayer. Be aware who your kids are playing with and what their in- interactions are like. You don't need to hear your kids screaming with their headset on, cussing at some kid because they got shot or something. We don't need any of that. Number three, know where they're going digitally. Um, there's, there's so much stuff out there. We could spend days doing this, but I don't want to because I want to be back on that side of the wall. Um, streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, they've changed the game. Um, when I tell my kids that we had Netflix on DVD, they don't believe me. It's just changed what's happened. I'm not necessarily saying you need to know every single show out there, but there are a couple things I want you guys to consider. You know, what I, know how to track what they're reading, what they're watching, what they're listening to, and what sites they're visiting. That's important. Let your kids know they'll be checking uh, in on what they're reading and they're watching, listening to, what the sites are visiting. Say, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at your phone. I'm going to look at whatever it is you have, and I'm going to look at these things. Now, opinions vary on what level of snooping parents should be doing on their kids. But the reality is that more than likely you've purchased that device, that streaming service, the data or the internet connection that they're using. So you can definitely reserve the right to check in on what's being used and how it's being used. That is your right as a parent who's paying that stuff. Even if they're paying, paying for it, just tell them to do it anyway, it's come your parent. But at the same time, don't think of it as control as much as accountability. Uh, that wording, uh, I'm going to control this, uh, can do more harm than good. Say, I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, know what's popular or trending, whether it's a book, an artist, a show, movie. Be aware of what is really popular among teen culture or your preteen culture as your teen's peers, as that will likely be something your student will consider engaging in. Number four, know where to go so you can know. If you aren't a little overwhelmed and annoyed with me right now, I'm shocked. Okay, there's a lot of stuff I've given you, a lot quickly. Um, I'm asking, I'm asking you to know a lot of stuff on top of the things that you have on your plate as a parent, and it has to be pretty overwhelming with all the stuff I've given you in 30 minutes' time. And I still have 30 more minutes to go. Um, and I've done very little to help you figure out how to gain the knowledge on these things. So let me. Let me address your annoyance with me and give you a few resources to help you out. The first one, this website called Smart Social. SmartSocial.com. This is not a faith-based site. Instead, their goal is to help parents and kids understand how important leaving a, a healthy social footprint is for teens when it comes to shaping their future education, like college or their career. I mean, you can turn on the news a lot, you know, especially around draft days of like NFL and stuff, and you can see a tweet that somebody tweeted out when they were like 18 years old and stupid, and how it's come back to haunt them. This teaches kids how to be smart about that kind of stuff. I especially want to direct your attention to the parent app guide. I'm on this page on this website. Um, they list some of the most popular apps that are at, out at that time, categorize them as green, safe knives, gray, maybe knives the parents should be monitoring and involved in, and red, which would be nice for teens and tweens to stay away from. So you can go on here, type, you know, look at the app, and see if your child 
should be on that or not. They also offer brief videos explaining the apps and how they work. Um, so there's all kinds of things on there. Um, and then uh, one more site as well is pluggedin.com. I mentioned this one a while ago. Um, this site from Focus on the Family, so it's more of a faith-based site. Uh, it's probably the closest that you can come to a one-stop shop for parents who want to be educated in, in, on entertainment media. Movies, music, TV, games, books, all kinds of stuff can be found on this website. And it gives you faith-based reviews for parents, so it can be pretty valuable for you. So there's a very, very quick flyover um, on the question of what is out there, because I can't do that in this time. So the other question is, what type of filters or controls are out there for us to use? Um, again, you may not be very happy with how I answer this question. Filters are not the answer. Filters are not the answer. Here's what I mean. There's almost always a way around the filter. If the kid wants it that bad to get the app or do whatever it is bad enough, they will find a way around that filter. Second, no filter can 100% block out questionable inappropriate or graphic content. It may still find your kids. Third, and maybe most importantly, there will come a day when your child grows up and will be free from filters and controls. If they have not learned ways to show restraint and wisdom before this point, they can get really ugly really fast. I know a person who worked at a resident director at a Christian college. He said every year his IT department would show giant spikes in the number of students visiting pornographic websites in the first weeks of college. This is at a Christian school. Now, as I say all that, there's no question of space for filters and parental controls. There is a space for that. Although you can't block everything, blocking some can be valuable. But you need to train them as parents to navigate the digital world on their own. There can be space for some restrictions, depending on the age of your son or daughter, right? Remembering like a knife illustration. I'm going to give my four-year-old Jojo a steak knife because she'll probably cut me. That's just what she does. So the first thing is parental controls. Almost every smartphone... If you haven't looked at your child's smartphone, there's all kinds of parental controls on a smartphone built in already. Um, you, can go, um, you can go to this website. I think I have it on the paper. And this gives you an article of how to set parental controls on iPhones, Android devices, like Amazon Fire devices, Windows, Macs. All that stuff shows you how to do those things. So I'm not going to get too much into that. But they can, you can find parental controls on every device. They're built in. But back when the internet first started, filters were all the rage. You could download some software onto your computer and set different restrictions, which would then block any websites that contain the content. With the addition of mobile devices, it's gotten a little more complicated. But one device that you guys can use is this thing called a Disney Circle. It's a device that you can plug into your home internet. And this is what it says. This is what it advertises that it can do. Customized filter for each family member. So if you have, like at my house, you know, I have a 16-year-old and a 4-year-old. That's a, a big maturity difference, right? And so I can set one filter for my 16-year-old and a different one for my 4-year-old. You can pause the internet at the press of a button. Daily time limit for sites and apps. Set a bedtime for devices. And see the usage for each family member. So these are some of the things you guys can do with that Disney Circle. It just plugs right into your internet. Now, the circle does this with any device while connected to the home internet, right? If they get off, if they're on their phone, they get off the internet and they have just cellular data on, it, it, it won't work so much on that for the circle. But they do have an additional service called Circle Go that's supposed to work 
with, with cellular data. I don't, I don't know a lot about it, so I don't, I'm maybe look into it, but everything I've read about it has more positive than negative, so maybe something to look into as well. I'm just not as familiar with that one, um, so I can't give you guys a whole lot on that one. All right, I've given you a lot of information and we're not done. We're going to keep going. Is that good? No? You guys, I wake you up? So the bottom line here is that there's no magic bullet or magic knife. Um, but I think this is, is a good and God-given thing. So we're going to get into this kind of real quick about how you have responsibilities here. You've heard the saying, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. I think this saying applies to how we approach parenting our kids with technology. Um, if we want to rethink it for technology, we could do it this way. Tell your teen what technology is not allowed, and you help them for a season. Teach your teen how to healthily engage technology, and they will be wise consumers for a lifetime. That's your job as a parent, to teach them how to be wise consumers. And we can put as many filters, as many parental controls as you want to, but until you teach them why, why you do these things, why you should be smart with these devices, and why you should consume these in a... In a good manner, wise manner, it's not going to do you any good. And you have the same, you know, over there in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he'll not depart from him. That's just a biblical thing for what I just said. Train your child using God-given principles. And that's what this does not say. It doesn't say keep your children from doing what they shouldn't be doing. It says train up a child. So that picture of modeling, coaching, and empowering in this proverb that is supposed to happen. With these proverbs in mind, I want to introduce you to the idea of restrictive parenting versus preparative parenting. And I kind of want to push you to that, to that latter style. Restrictive parenting is, is focused on these three things, rules, controls, and consequences. And there's a definite place for these things when it comes to our kids' technology consumption. There's a lot of junk and some really scary stuff out there. Um, so we need to protect our kids from these things, right? So what is preparative parenting. In, in this case, it's a phrase I'm making up because that's what pastors do. And it sounds similar to the, the phrase restrictive parenting. Um, but I think it answers these two questions, the when and how, while the restrictive answers the question of, of what. Because the restrictive parenting tends to focus on what, like what type of phone device should we let our kids have? What type of data plan and access should we allow? What type of games or apps or social media will we allow or not allow? Those are good questions, but I think are, there are some when and how questions that may lessen the heaviness of, of the what questions. Like, yeah, when will we allow our kids to have a blank? When? Um, this is like an age question, it seems like, at first glance. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's really not. You know, it's, the correct answer, I think, has a lot more to do with displaying responsibility and awareness, you knowing your child and using discernment to know when they can get blank device or blank social media or whatever it may be. But there's a responsibility to behave and engage healthily. First Timothy 4.12 Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. So encourage them to, to behave and model these things in their lives. Second, there's an awareness to stay away from the danger spots. Do they have eternal alarms that kind of go off when they stumble upon something dangerous? Second Timothy 2.22 so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So they have this kind of the Holy Spirit convicting them when they come across these things. A win question. When will we step in and when will we step back? 
It's a most certainly hotly uh, contested topic. I might have to get back to you about that. I don't know what's going on. Would you allow your students to have whatever item or account we're talking about? What is the appropriate level of access for you to have? How much should you check up on them? We could spend an hour on this, but we're not going to. So I'm going to encourage you to consider just the following really quickly. This quote. Um, Shouldn't social media and cell phones be a privilege rather than a right or entitlement for kids from their parents? If parents own the internet service provider, the cell phone, the computer, etc., that it takes for their kids to have the privilege of enjoying and using, then shouldn't parents have full authority to monitor and audit their kids' use? That's from a pastor when I was doing some research that spoke on this. So one way you can set this up with your kids is to simply let them know, hey, we're going to trust you, but we want there to be accountability. So we have the right to reserve, to check whatever account or device you're using. That's how you do that. And then I got a how question. How are we going to engage our technology? When it comes to preparative parenting, I think this is the key. And this is the closest thing I'm going to give to you, giving you a step-by-step guide tonight. First thing is talk about it. There are a ton of questions being asked to help students think critically about how they're going to engage in technology. When is it better to talk in person rather than text? Like at lunch today, we feed, we feed the high school kids lunch, and this guy said he always gets broken up by a girl over text message. That's not what you do, right? You want to go talk to somebody face-to-face. What information would you say we should never share on social media? What do I have to say about what our speech should look like and how does it apply to what we watch or listen to? What is the purpose of a selfie? Those are some questions you can, you can ask. Number two, take a break. Have no technology allowed times. This can be for short periods, like at dinner or when going out as a family. That's up for you to decide. Number three, put it down. This one's pretty specific to, of course, mobile devices. Teaching the importance of putting the phone down or in their pocket and engaging what is right in front of them. Works for adults, too. We would, my brother and I took my mom out for Mother's Day dinner a few years ago, and we had to leave our phones in the car. I twitched the entire dinner, but we made it. A few times they would ask a question. I'm like, let me, let me look, and I couldn't look. Uh, model healthy use. There's some awesome aspects about technology, but it could be, could be bad. So just model it in a healthy manner for them. And then lastly, real quick, um, we have the digital inventory. Uh, this is the, the, uh, the digital engagement family notebook. This is this one right here for you guys that you guys picked up. This is for you guys. To kind of work through, you may have kids in this age bracket, you may have kids that aren't quite there yet, but something you guys can hold on to and use. The digital inventory, you just take an inventory of the primary technological devices each of your kids has access to, assess their amount on each device. It's a parent-only section to work on. Then you have the inventory discussion, kind of work through these questions as parents, separate from your kids, and then you'll kind of bring what you guys discuss and bring your kids into the fold and talk with them about their technology use. Social media connections evaluation, kind of like the digital inventory, but mostly about social media. That's where you can have their usernames, their passwords, even, that kind of stuff. It's parent-only section. Again, you come back and talk about it. And then the digital code of conduct, um, using the four ways to engage technology, you'll again, just as parents, evaluate what's going well and where to improve your digital engagement as, as a family. And the last one is rules and boundaries. This gives you, um, just parents, some questions to work through that will set up some guidelines for your family and hopefully serve as reparative and restrictive in their nature. And at the bottom of page 12, there's some suggestions for how to take these rules and boundaries to your kids and let them know, let them be a part of this process. Make that book work for you. Take it home, use it, make it work for your family, how it would work 
Um, as you, hopefully you guys grab. If you didn't grab it, we have all kinds of papers up here. We have good apps, bad apps, anti-social media, should I stalk my kid, two-player mode in case you have a gamer kid. And this one has all kinds of websites, books, apps, and other things for you guys to look through. I gave you a whole lot of information. Like I said, this is normally a three-hour presentation. I somehow managed to fit it in into like 40 minutes, and I'm very dry mouth now. That's okay. If you have questions, I'll be here. Um, I think Mark wants us to kind of move out some tables, so I'll see the time. Over you, Mark. Yeah,